In our first reading from the book of the prophet Baruch, we heard certain words recurring. The word light, the word splendor, and again and again, the word glory. And in this, we get a picture in our mind's eye of radiant, strong, shining light. Now, this picture might call to mind certain things that we are in fact seeing more and more right now in this season, as we know that people are putting up Christmas decorations. And lights are an important part of Christmas decorations. This originates perhaps in Germany in the 1600s when some people began to put candles within Christmas trees. Thankfully, before very many centuries passed, we invented electric lights, so we're not putting open flames in trees anymore. But having then created electric Christmas lights and reflecting things to go with them, tinsel, shiny ornaments, well, we don't stop by putting those Christmas lights in the tree, do we? But people put them all over the place, mantles, staircases, other places within the house, outside the house, even in bushes and trees. And as we see these lights begin to multiply, isn't that one of the special things about this season? Because everything begins to take on a different appearance. Things that we thought were just ordinary, daily sorts of things, just there, now become softly beautiful, almost magical, people might say. We see them through different eyes. Now, as we think of those Christmas lights and then of this description in glory in the first reading, there's a similarity, although a couple differences. One of them is that those Christmas lights are sort of soft and sweet, whereas that glory is magnificent. The other difference is those Christmas lights are on things like trees and houses and bushes, whereas the light that is being described, the prophet is speaking to the people of Israel. And thus, we may hear him speaking to us. It's not trees and bushes being lit up that he's talking about. It's you, that you will shine with that glory. Now let's hold that thought. We'll come back to it. Here in the second Sunday of Advent, as we continue preparing ourselves to welcome our Lord Jesus Christ at his second coming, the church brings to our attention St. John the Baptist, which is very appropriate because his entire role, his whole being, was to be the precursor of the Lord or the forerunner of the Lord, to go before him and by his words and actions to help people to be ready to welcome him at his first coming. So who better to listen to as we prepare ourselves now? And we heard St. Luke quoting, as all the Gospels do, from the prophet Isaiah describing the project that was before John the Baptist. A voice of one crying out in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord. That's what he was supposed to do, right? St. Luke is the only one who keeps on going and quotes another verse or two. As he then describes a building project. 
the creation of a superhighway through a wilderness area. And whether it was being done 2,500 years ago or now, you'd have to do the same thing if you were that highway engineer. You would look and say, okay, this is the land we have to start with. So all those valleys, the gorges where we're going to put the highway, need to fill them in or bridge them over. Some of those hills we're going to cut into, smooth things out, straighten things out, right? That's how you build a highway. Now, when this was originally spoken by the prophet Isaiah, he was primarily speaking about the making of the way back from exile, back from Babylon to Judah. But here, in the first coming and now, it's applied in a second way, as now the preparation of this highway is the people of the first century and now us preparing the way for the Lord to come. So what is this preparation like? We see that John the Baptist is doing, well, what gives him his name, the one who baptizes. As we see that he was proclaiming and practicing a baptism of repentance. Now this was before our Lord Jesus transformed baptism into a sacrament, which profoundly changes our lives as his grace touches us through it. But on the other hand, John the Baptist didn't invent baptism. It was already being practiced because even without that sacramental power, it was a very effective tool and an aid in helping people to make certain acts of the will. One of the ways baptism was practiced by the people of Israel at the time was in conversion. Now we have to remember that conversion was something very serious, not as light as people might think it now. And they say that if you take a comparative religion course, you end up thinking you're a different religion every other day as you keep learning about one religion after another. This was not so light. To actually become part of the people of Israel was to profoundly change your life. In fact, to change your nation, to change your family, and to change yourself. And so in the actual moment of that change, the person would undergo a baptism of conversion, They'd take off all their clothes, all their jewelry, they would leave everything about themselves behind, go into that water, leave even the dirt behind, and come out ready to live their completely new life, completely new identity. How effective for the change that person was making. Now here John the Baptist is proposing to people who perhaps like us have grown up in the people of God, who have known him, who sought to follow him, and to them he says, you need to make as profound a change in your life as someone who is converting in this very definite way. You need to make that change too. A conversion, not for those who are joining the people of God for the first time, but for those who are in it, but now need to deepen it. A conversion, repentance, is a turning 
a turning from old bad ways to new good ways. It's a turning within ourselves, in our thoughts and decisions, and a turning outside ourselves in the way we live that out, our actions. And when we talk about then this repentance, in this turning, we can talk about it in two ways. We could talk about the badness of the ways we're leaving behind and why we need to be sorry for those. We can also talk about the goodness of the new ways we're turning toward and the rewards that come from turning toward them, including within ourselves. You could talk about either of those two ways. Now let's connect this to the year of mercy that is about to begin two days from now. Mercy has everything to do with this. And we should note, first of all, that mercy is not about permissiveness. Mercy is not about saying, oh yeah, that sin, sure, keep on, keep on sinning, no problem. But mercy is, first of all, a new way of seeing. So that when God looks upon any one of us, does he see those sins? Yeah, he sees them. But unlike the rest of the world, he sees more. You might say that when the rest of the world looks at us and sees just a tree or a bush, he looks at us and sees the tree or the bush but lit up with Christmas lights. Because along with those sins, he sees his beloved son or daughter and how much he loves us. He sees this when he looks at us. And he sees something else. He also sees what he will be able to make us. What he will be able to make us, much as they say a master statue carver could look at a block of marble and see the statue in the marble. He just had to take away all the rest of it. And if he already sees us glowing with light, he sees how he can make us shine. And not only does he see how he can do it, having foreseen with the eyes of mercy, that he acts in mercy to provide us the grace and the help that we need in order to become that glorious vision that he knows we can become with his help, with his cooperation. And he sets out to make it so. This then, is the result of this act of conversion that St. John the Baptist urges to us. And we consider what it is God wants to make us. This is part of what we heard from St. Paul in the second reading. To make us full of love, to make us insightful in knowledge, to make us pure and blameless, to make us good and characterized by good deeds to make us patient, to make us generous, to make us strong, to make us self-controlled, to make us free, to make us trusting in faith, to make us fixed in hope, to make us saints. We look toward our Lord Jesus' second coming, and when he comes and brings about the resurrection, he will transform our bodies to be like his own glorious body. C.S. Lewis has said that after that point, 
If someone could see us now as we will be then, they would be tempted to worship us. So glorious will we be. This we await when our Lord Jesus comes again. Right now, he is seeking to make our souls more and more shine in the way that our bodies will then. And so we cooperate. And we allow our Lord to make us that. So how about that building project, building that superhighway, filling in those valleys, bringing down those mountains to make that way? Think about that this Advent. In your cooperation with our Lord as he seeks to make you from glowing with Christmas lights to shining with glory. What, first of all, is a valley or gorge in your life, something that's missing that he wants to be there? Surely there are many answers, but take one. What's the Lord pressing on you? What's missing in your life that should be there? Is it prayer so you can spend more time with him? Is it love that you want to give to someone else? Is it knowledge of him? What's missing? Seek to allow him to fill that in in your life, that thing that's missing this Advent. And then what about that mountain, that thing that's in your life that needs to go? Is it pride? Is it harsh words? Is it some other sin that needs to be cut away to smooth the way of the Lord? What's the number one thing the Lord wants to remove from your life this Advent? What needs to be added to fill in that valley? What needs to be taken away to take away that mountain? The Lord looks upon you with eyes of mercy and wants to bring about that transformation in your life. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight his paths.